Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're doing well. I'm Cassidy, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Diz. Hello. And this week, we are continuing with our discussion of the last book in the Percy Jackson series. So last week, we got um, partway through The Last Olympian, um, about up until Percy was getting ready to... Um, undertake Nico's plan yeah exactly so this week we're getting into the specifics of that plan and all the craziness that Percy has to go through during his actual conflict with Kronos so um before we do that just our usual spoiler warning slash um disclaimer if you're not familiar with the series or if you haven't read this book we are getting into spoilery territory and we are going to cover a lot of different things and um this is really i think one of those series that's best experienced um firsthand blind yeah firsthand too (laughs) yeah so um just keep in mind that we are getting to spoilery territory if you choose to listen um but as always if you do choose to listen thank you so much we can't say enough how much we appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to the two of us nerd about things we like it really means a lot so (laughs) yes uh i we cannot thank you guys enough for giving for taking time out of your day to listen to us nerd out about stuff like this and with the way things are in the world right now it's crazy and we hope that this is a bit of a break from the crazy news cycle that's going on everywhere else outside but in any case thank you guys for listening but with that out of the way let's get going because we left these guys off at a very important juncture because the war is brewing. The war is almost here. They've been preparing for this all summer. And uh, I mean, since the Battle of the Labyrinth, that's all they've been working towards. And now suddenly it's here and dra- desperate times call for desperate measures kind of deal. And they've lo- they've already sustained some casualties and all those things. And, it's, and Percy's learned that Kronos is invulnerable at this point. So... Uh, that's that's what's crazy so let's talk about it there's so much going on here yeah I mean there there's a lot and I think the kind of crazy thing is they're they finally reached a point where they're really out of options in terms of what they can do in order to kind of give Camp Half-Blood a fighting chance exactly so they're almost in a way forced to kind of take this very risky gamble and have Percy do something that is actually as dangerous maybe (laughs) is the best way to put it because i will get to what it is in a sec in a few seconds i mean not in a few seconds but in a bit yes we'll get to (laughs) it but that's why he's so reluctant to do this in the first place because usually percy's the kind of dude that be that would be like i'm gonna jump at this uh, i'm gonna jump at the chance to do what i can do to get this situation under control but when Nico tells him about this plan and tells him, hey, this is the only time we can go do this, he's like, can we not wait and see how this plays out to finally take that desperate step, which is like odd for Yeah, Percy? I mean, he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah Percy's kind that. of like a dive-in headfirst yeah. type of guy. And yeah. um, in the past, that's worked great for him. He's been able to kind of take his time with certain things he's been able to leap into action when he needs to but this is really something that's um as dangerous as anything he's done before but you know failing might have unfortunately even higher consequences than it's ever had Mm. so he's really taken his time with 
this specific plan that that Nico yeah. has come up with and he's delayed it I think for as long as he can because Nico oh, first suggested it at the end of the Battle of the Labyrinth yeah. and um you know there there is a somewhat of a time skip between the end of that book and the start okay. of the last Olympian yeah. so basically an entire um, year because like all, like say nine months you I don't know if it's an entire nine year months, nine months because like if you look at that that was on his birthday uh august 18th of last year and now oh, it's true. almost yeah, approaching yeah. his no, 16th right. birthday so you yeah because so many about... times it takes place during the summer i keep forgetting yeah. that like it's from summer to summer and i'm just like it doesn't it take place within the same summer but no you're right no yeah it has so, been um nine months you could say a few months <laughs> basically but yeah Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah I mean this is like a very risky plan that they're trying to undertake and it's again not really like Percy to just kind of wait mm-hmm. he's more again like somebody who just kind of dives in and um goes head first into things not all the time but often enough that I think the, the the seaweed braid nickname is kind of warranted but um, yeah, this is something he's he's definitely considered a lot more carefully and he's yeah. definitely thought out a lot better. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he just, he, he's been given this, this idea or this plan that will kind of help um, give them a fighting chance, not so much level the playing field, but, you know, just give them a fighting chance. And he's yeah. kind of delayed um enacting it because yeah. it's not something that he can undertake as easily or not something to be undertaken and, lightly and like said, so, it's so risky like the odds i mean it, it, he could he could it, the odds are not good for percy at this stage even if he goes through with this so it's like <laughs> it's really it, that's how risky this is and that's why it's kind of interesting that Percy takes a step back and like is this really the best way to go about it and Nico's like this is the only way and once the war starts you will not be able to do this kind of thing right so yeah I mean it's there's definitely again Percy's delayed as long as he can and they're kind of at a point where they're out of options and you know the the benefits should this plan succeed outweigh the risks but that doesn't decrease the risks and and it doesn't take away how incredibly dangerous and um messy this could turn out if this whole thing goes sideways so yeah there's a lot at stake and and like i think we've we've kind of said this every single book that the stakes get higher and higher and higher but but this this time it's like the stakes are astronomically high and there's so much that they need to do and this is just kind of like one other thing that should percy fail in this one specific plan of Nico's then everything else that they've been fighting for is kind of in jeopardy so yeah this is this is a big one (laughs) this is a big one now let's talk about basically because Nico knows the way to the underworld uh let's talk about their plan basically right their plan is for Percy to take on the curse of Achilles by by basically bathing in the river Styx which is in the (laughs) underworld and We'll talk about the details of that in just a bit, but like basically Nico knows his way around the underworld and he go they're basically with he I think they're waiting at a at the door of Orpheus, which needs music to be open. And <laughs> I love how Nico's like, How's your singing? And Percy's like, No, I, no, don't ask me. It, it's kind of funny. But then he does 
he does reach out to Grover via his empathy link and we find out something really shocking. So let's talk about that development because that turns out to be pretty important uh, for the battle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole buildup to them going to the underworld is like, there's there's so, so much in it. Like yeah. um, Nico has been clearly looking into this for a while, but he doesn't know the yeah. specifics. So as part of the yeah. specifics, like, or as part of, you know, getting this whole thing underway, one of the things they do before they get to the doors of Orpheus is yeah. they go visit oh, yes. Luke's mom. I'm so sorry, um, yes, and, do. No, I mean, again, there's just so much going on that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's easy lot. to kind of forget some of the minor details and like this is kind yeah. of like one of them where it's like Percy mm-hmm. meeting Luke's mom and at first she comes across as like kind of nutty or batty and like not all together there yeah. but there's a reason uh she is the way she is and it ends up being um so important to the story and also such and a cleverly talk, yeah like, it's very cleverly crafted I have to say <laughs> because the way this curse works, and if you know the legend of Achilles, you know what happened with him. Basically, his mom Thetis to make him immortal dipped him in the river Styx by holding on to one of his ankles basically his heel and that's why Achilles is invulnerable in battle except for that one mortal point on his body basically Mm -hmm. Um, now here's the thing Thetis did that of her own volition to her baby boy but Nico wants to confirm that this whole process requires your mother's blessing to go through with it. So that's why they visit May, because Nico thinks that that's what Luke has done to be able to even host Kronos' body, basically. Right. So that's why they're visiting May. And unfortunately, I... I, I like you said I love how they wove this into the story but May's story is so terribly heartbreaking let's talk about that yeah I mean Luke spends a lot of time I think or we learn throughout this book that Luke has spent a lot of time kind of avoiding his mom as much as yeah. he's avoided um, you know his, his dad and part of yeah. that is because May is um, she's not normal. She at one point was as ordinary as anybody else. And then something happened to kind of make her go a little Boy, bit crazy. Yeah, and she's, yeah. yeah, she's seeing like visions and like they're incomplete and she's just like randomly spouting things and all of that. So it's enough to make, I think, any little kid unsettled. And Luke was really young or he's, I mean, he was essentially a baby when May mm. kind of started acting this way. Exactly. So that's all he's ever known of her, like that she's just you know nutty and and not all together there and that she does um crazy things like just spout random prophecies and and she's not as normal as like you know anybody else's mortal parent would be so I think that's definitely turned him away from spending any sort of time with her but yeah when you find out her whole story it really is like you said very heartbreaking very tragic Mm -hmm. um and it's also just kind of sad that Luke felt the way he did about her because clearly may castellan really cares about her son and uh, she she's she did um i think she's as much of a victim oh she totally is is. and it's it's nobody's fault either right and i think think like that's the hard part fault because no one knew (laughs) 
about right but i think luke like kind of wanted somebody to blame and he like because he needs to have some sort of like i guess scapegoat to justify why he's turning and all of that and so um i think maybe he was looking to may or maybe even hermes to be his scapegoat but yeah like you said it's not really anybody's fault you know and so much of their lives they've been told the fates have like this kind of grand um design for you or Yeah. yeah exactly like and it's set in stone you can't really change it um it kind of makes like and even if the gods kind of have to adhere to that it's like why are you blaming Hermes I mean like regardless of whether or not he could have done more it's like if you believe that you know the fates kind of control everything and everything is set in stone as per you know the the threads that they weave and all of that (laughs) then um you know the gods themselves can't even really change it they might be able to like nudge it in different directions but it's not like they can unravel that thread or like you know make their own knots or <laughs> however you want to I know what um, you mean. make that analogy <laughs> I know what you but, mean it's um, just but here's what I love about this situation because I, I don't I, I'm using the word love incorrectly I think but my feeling here is the way it's been done is really great because seeing this situation causes Percy to kind of sympathize with Luke little by little. He's like, if he right. was left to, if he was left with someone like this, like May, regardless mm-hmm. of whether, it may, I mean, it wasn't May's fault at all. She couldn't control right. what happened to her. That's fine. But then if Hermes couldn't do something with all of his power to help his own son in a situation mm-hmm. like this, you can kind of understand where Luke's anger is coming from. So I like right, how yeah. that's built up here as well. But let's talk about that a little bit later because there is a discussion about this as this book progresses mm-hmm. too, which I absolutely Right, but love. I think this, it's one of the really cool things that this scene kind of leads to is there is a scene where once they confirm that like you said it's the mother that kind of has to give her blessing for this um percy of course has to get it from sally and i feel like we've said this every time we brought up sally but she is just like the best mother she deserves all the awards under the sun because this is such a huge monumental thing that he's asked of her and she has her reservations of course she's worried Mm -hmm. like any normal mother would be but Mm -hmm. she still gives percy her blessing and she like i think she understands probably better than some mortal parents um what her her son has to go through and and you know the responsibility he's undertaken and I think we were talking about this off recording too and you made a really good point that Paul also steps up and he talks about how um, he's not really able to yeah yeah, he's not able to like really understand what Percy's going through but he finds it very noble that Percy's kind of devoted himself to fighting for this larger cause and he'd like to think that he would do the same if he were in a similar situation things like that so it's it's a bittersweet moment yeah yeah, because you know Sally has to yeah. yeah Sally has to unfortunately let go of her son but also at the same time you know she she understands enough to but you know she's not going to force him to stay or beg him to stay yeah. um and 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 so I think that that's just it's a really sweet moment but all of this to say that you know they kind of retrace Luke's footsteps get the information yes. that they need get Sally's yeah. blessing and then actively start heading to Going the underworld and that's when they find Hestia as well because I like how they wove her into this as well, because she (laughs) comes in in bits and pieces in this book, and it turns out to be super important. 
because right uh you made a very good point when we were talking about this after off recording uh a couple a few days ago when we were rereading this book you were like you think that the last olympian would be one of the big three but it's not it's her it's hestia goddess <laughs> of home and hearth so let's talk about that because i think she warns percy about the path luke has taken and how dangerous it is for him to take that path too so let's talk about right that. yeah it's i think really um cool the way she's kind of depicted as a last olympian and even yeah. though she's technically not you know part of the the council and and she kind of gave up her her throne so that dionysus could kind of yeah. you know take his position once he became yeah. a, a god um she's still just as important and she's so pivotal to like the the plot of this book like at different moments she comes in and she offers percy advice and you know glimpses of the past that really help him understand who he's fighting why he's fighting yeah. and um ultimately help him in ways that he didn't I don't think he ever really thought of. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's really cool to see Hestia kind of depicted as, even though she's the last Olympian, essentially, she's also yeah. in, in some ways the most important, which I think, you know, both as us as readers and I think yeah. as characters, sometimes a lot of people can overlook. Yes. So, um, yeah, that was really cool to see that, that as, as nice as it, or cool maybe as it would have been to have the, one of the big three yeah. um be the last olympian it really is hestia whose domain is like the home and hearth and that's yeah. something that's like so pivotal to oh, to um, totally. this specific book yes. and and like the message that it's trying to convey so that was really cool but yeah. um yeah i mean she does give percy a warning about you know following the same path that luke mm. took not so much because he might turn out like luke but I guess more because the, this is not he an easy path. He has to what yeah. he's up against kind of thing. But mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. But then this is where we come to the point that, okay, we confirmed that this is what they have to do. They got Sally's blessing and now they have to go into the underworld, which is why they need Grover. But let's talk about how they find Grover and the predicament that he was in when we found him, because it's, it, it signals the beginning of the war like oh my god kind of thing so let's talk about that too because Grover thinks he's only been you know napping for two minutes but unfortunately he's been napping for two months because of Morpheus so let's talk about that yeah so um I think in in the first uh, part that we covered or in during that portion of the book at least um percy notes that grover hasn't been heard from in a while yeah. and uh juniper of course is worried he's worried but the council of cloven elders is not too bothered by it they kind of were like there's no way grover really took on the you know role of, of pan and there's no way that he's really the new lord of the wild he's clearly a traitor and they've kind of been delaying doing any like um you know, recon or, or search and rescue thing for Grover. Yeah. And so um, it, Grover's just kind of been strange, out there by himself. Yeah, I know yeah. yeah. but um, when they're in Central Park, Percy feels his, like empathy link, I guess, starting up again or, or yeah. however you want to call it. But he, he feels, you know, more connected, like he can actually sense Grover. And, um, you know, Grover, unfortunately, has been asleep in Central Park, like you said, for two months. And that's how we find out that um, Morpheus, who is considered a minor god, though he may not like the minor <laughs> title, Mm -hmm. um morpheus has been putting you know 
beings to sleep as preparation for Kronos's invasion and unfortunately Grover was kind of like one of the first people to or one of the first satyrs to kind of fall under Morpheus spell but the bigger thing like you said is that yeah Grover thinks it's been like a very short period of time but it's actually been two months (laughs) and so um it's it's very worrisome that that Morpheus is spending so much time and, and energy and effort to put people to sleep when Kronos's invasion is like literally like around the corner. And if that happened two months ago, who knows where he is now with his you know Trying sleep spell or whatever. Sleep. So exactly, <laughs> yeah. But Grover uh, uh, Grover's plans aside set aside for now because he will come back in the battle for sure. But let's go to the plan. Let's go towards the plan where these two are going to to the underworld. Um, they unfortunately, Nico has made a deal with his father to get information <laughs> about his mom. So he, he's like, "I'm sorry, Percy. This was the lead I had on my family. My dad wants to talk to you." And the funny thing is, he really believes that that's all Hades wanted to do. But unfortunately, what Hades really wanted to do was imprison Percy so that his son, Nico, could be the subject of the prophecy and not this kid. Um, It's interesting because I think you made a very good point that you can't exactly change the prophecy. I mean, you can change how it's interpreted, sure, but the events happen. And it's funny to think about it because when because Percy actively decided that it would be about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And. And it was that's what this was going toward. But now he's like he's been he's being imprisoned, and all this all this time Hades is like demeaning his son, saying your sister would have been better at this or something like that. Which is, I I you feel bad for Nico in a situation like this, but it's also like you can also understand why Percy's mad. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, it's definitely understandable why Percy's upset with Nico because they're in a bit of a time crunch right like they have a specific deadline essentially Mm -hmm. before Kronos invades and they don't really have a minute to spare and I understand that you know Nico of course is is very determined to get answers about his mom and of Mm -hmm. course he deserves those answers but it's just unfortunate that um this whole kind of scheme took place when it did when you know they're really pressed for time and they can't even afford to really lose a minute but also I think it's it's worth noting that Nico is also you know a fairly young kid in this book he's still only like 12 or seriously believe so, that his dad would just talk to him and then mm-hmm. that would be it and then right and you know you can't really fault him for that either because yeah. again how does he know yeah. right like you know he's he's 12 he hasn't had that much interaction with gods and, and you know mythological beings yeah. um, or not as much as Percy at any rate and um it's it's not really fair to hold him accountable or, or treat him like he knew this was going to happen yeah. like should he yeah. have su- suspected maybe but again you know he's 12 years old he's so you know hell-bent on getting answers and that's really all he wants and he's so close to a lead like you know yeah. in his desperation he may have made this deal unknowingly or um not fully thinking of the consequences that might oh, happen true. if Hades true. what you know turned or, or betrayed Nico and, and, and things like that so um yeah the, there's a lot to consider it's I think really hard to blame anybody except maybe Hades at this point uh, but yeah. um like you said it is totally understandable that Percy's upset and um it's understandable that Nico is also upset because I don't think yeah. Nico is expecting this I think he thought that his dad would genuinely just talk to Percy and then just leave it at that and unfortunately that's not that's what not happened really yeah 
And that's not really, I think, who Hades is. But also, I think you made a really good point about Hades trying to change the prophecy. Mm. And um, I think the interesting thing about the the great prophecy is that it's vague enough that it could apply to any of the big three, yeah. but just as a child of the eldest gods. Yeah. And so there have been so many other demigods, I'm sure, maybe even before Percy was born. Um, and even after Percy was born, like there have been a couple of different demigods who could have been the subject of the prophecy but it is interesting to note that percy spent so much time trying to actively be the bearer of the prophecy like post the titan's curse yeah and then hades just like nope very easy like yeah he, he's very quick to try and like undermine all of that by being like no no no, nico is gonna be the child of the prophecy but also it is weird that he makes a lot of comparisons to bianca and it's like how do you know so much about who exactly he was and, and who nico is if you've had no contact with them since they were stuck in the lotus hotel from like the 1930s or 40s or whatever exactly so um i don't know it, i just found that really odd that hades kept kind of like I don't know, showing preference for Bianca or like, oh, if she had survived, she would have been so much better. It's like, how do you know? You had like no contact with them. And like, I understand getting like updates from like the Furies or whatever, but still, I mean, that's not the daily updates. Yeah. And also like by the Titan's curse, Bianca had formally joined the Hunters of Artemis. So I don't know that that puts her in play for the, I mean, it doesn't put her in play for the prophecy. No, it doesn't um, because he would have stayed, what, 13 yeah. forever? Yeah. Yeah. And also like she so she joined before she'd ever met Hades, supposedly. Yeah. Like we don't know if she ever met him. No, you know, I don't think she even knew who her hunters. parent was at that point. I don't think she knew. She was just like Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, she clearly knows after, but then yeah, by yeah. then it's like it's kind of too late. But um yeah, it, it's it's so weird that he's like, Oh, Bianca would have been a better choice. And it's like, how do you know? <laughs> Like, how are you getting information on them? Like, where are you getting information from? Like, are you spying on them? I kind or... of have a guess because I think Bianca reminds Hades of her mother. Oh, of Maria, yeah, maybe. Maybe, but yeah. But then that's... Because I mean, Percy comments on that to... too. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's not fair to, to kind of hold her to a certain standard because of her mother and he like he's still so caught up on her mother yeah yeah that makes sense but and, I mean I think it probably also that yeah <laughs> I'm guessing that like the theories probably gave him updates too or you know he's a god Something. he could probably do some Something godly magic sure. and just like peek <laughs> in on them yeah <laughs> anyway uh but here's the thing um as messy as the situation is Percy is in a dungeon having visions about Typhon basically crossing the Mississippi River and advancing towards mm -hmm. New York and also the whole thing about Rachel going to St. Thomas and having weird visions and stuff which we'll get into more in a little bit for sure <clears throat> but Nico the poor boy he actually comes back to rescue Percy and he's like you know we have to get out of here he's put the guards to sleep so that they can go to the sticks and do what they actually came here to do basically <laughs> so let's talk about that let's talk about the curse of achilles because oh my god i love how they depicted this because it's it's really vivid i'd like to say it is you know? yeah and I've, and and i love to i love talking about the fact that the first thing that you see when Percy attempts this is Achilles himself he's there warning <laughs> Percy that you will be invulnerable in battle but that is not worth the cost it's it's really not don't do this right kind of thing so 
let's talk about that and also how he describes it so when percy is like i have to do this he's like if you're uh, let the gods witness that i've tried but if you really want to go through with this focus on one more one mortal point one thing that tethers you to this earth otherwise this river will kill you and let's talk about who right. he sees because it, it, it's really important it's, <laughs> it is yeah yeah bit. i think it was also it's so interesting that like achilles is there after having like taken on this yeah. curse essentially yeah. and he's he's the one who's like actively trying to dissuade heroes and be like don't yeah. do this like yeah. rethink whatever you're about to do yeah. but um i think like we mentioned earlier percy's at a point where unfortunately this is like he's out of options and this is, is it because he it's is. not a level playing field and even with this the curse of achilles it's still not a level level playing field but at least he has a fighting chance now whereas before um i mean we saw in the beginning when he was fighting chrono slash luke on the princess andromeda yeah. you know a small scratch literally almost essentially Drained killed him. him yeah and, literally, yeah. yeah and um you know he could you know as small as that injury was it still it hurt a lot more than it probably would have had luke and chronos not merged into into yeah. one so yeah. this is all just kind of to give them a fighting chance at least exactly. kind of build percy up so that he's not um as vulnerable you know, like exactly at least, yeah at least uh, on a better um i don't know how else to put this but in a better situation to fight it's like, chronos it's like the way it is yeah yeah, yeah. so it's say. not like a level playing field but yeah. it's it's building him up so that he's yeah. better able to fight chronos without dying as quickly maybe exactly <laughs> or like that's the goal anyway that's the goal. um so yeah percy he does bathe in the sticks and um yeah i mean like you said earlier it is a he describes it very vividly as you know a horrible thing and something that nobody should attempt to do yeah. but despite his descriptions i think this ends up being at least i think for the two of us one of our favorite scenes in the whole book Yes. Um, one because of like you said who he sees but also just you know how powerful this scene is because oh it God, yes. like it means so much when you really consider like who he's seeing and why he's seeing this person so yeah. as and, he's slowly developing in means, mistakes and what it means <laughs> that this is the it, this is the person that ties him to this world <laughs> his humanity his mortality kind of thing yes. like dude that is incredible so let's yeah. talk about that yeah it's super sweet because of course you know if you've read the book that when percy is dissolving in the sticks the one person he sees in his attempt to kind of like stay together and keep it together is um annabeth of course and he sees her like standing on the pier with her yankees cap and she's and reaching like, out to him you had to pull him um, back out of the yeah. lake and stuff and yeah and, there's and, a, and he hears her say you're not letting you're not dying on me seaweed brain or something like that it's really sweet. yeah i think really she sweet. says kind of like a mirror to what he says later yeah. in, a, in a different book altogether but um yeah. i think she says you're not getting oh away from God. me that easily <laughs> i um, know exactly and... what you mean <laughs> but yeah i know uh yeah so it, it's just a super sweet moment even yeah. though annabeth is not physically there but he still sees her and like that's enough for him to kind of make it out of the sticks but also like you said it's such a huge moment because mm. um regardless of whether or not Percy admits it, we as readers know that this, or she is what kind of ties him to the mortal world and she's the anchor that he's chosen. Yeah. And it's so, so important because yes. for five books, essentially they've been dancing around each other and like they uh -huh. freely admitted that they're best friends 
but <laughs> you know like anything beyond that it's like that's kind of like you They're know like... weird territory and it's like are we are we not and especially since um yeah. probably especially since the since last the... since the battle of yeah. the labyrinth exactly yeah they've, they've kind of been like dancing around each other and avoiding you know interaction and things like that and um i just think it's it's so funny because like there's that one line where percy talks about how it hurts to be with annabeth but then it also <laughs> hurts to be without her um and and so it's like it's like one of those things where it's like it's this person drives you nuts but you love them to pieces and so it's well, like uh, not unlike <laughs> another pairing we know mm-hmm. yes <laughs> So reminds me of a very specific line. And I don't think we'll ever mm-hmm. do a podcast on that because that's another um, <laughs> I think it's uh, a touchy subject work. for us. But, uh, um, but yeah. I know what you mean. Like, yeah. Exactly. That's true. Uh, but I just think it's so sweet that yeah, he, he sees Annabeth and it's so powerful too. Because again, I mean, I think Annabeth spends a lot of time kind of I, I don't want to say doubting, but I don't think she doubts. I, I think I think she knows, but I think she gives you an explanation at the end of this towards the end of this book as well when you understand her situation with Luke and everything she says something that that solidifies how she's been feeling all this time literally right it's like so I understand where she's coming from but I also understand how frustrated Percy is that she's looking at Luke even though he's hurt her time and time again kind of thing you know (laughs) but that's for another time um but he's taken on this curse. He's finally gotten out of the river, but Hades guards are on them. Now let's talk yes. about this scene for a bit because even though the situation is dire, they managed to make it funny because of Percy's perspective because he cuts through <laughs> Hades' guards and even subdues Hades very quickly. It's like that. And then he's, he, he just, and then even Nico's like super stunned and Percy's just like, I think the river thing worked. And then Nico's like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's a good it. example of like how yeah. powerful Percy yeah. is, you know, even without the Achilles curse, but, you know, with it, you know, his abilities are kind of augmented. And so, yeah, he's able to kind of really quickly route Hades' entire zombie uh zombie army or whatever yeah yeah whatever you want to call them and um he's able to kind of almost take down hades himself and the only reason he doesn't actually do it is because hades being god yeah he like poops away magically so i don't know if that counts but um (laughs) it's a good example of i think um like like we were talking about how Mm. powerful Percy is now that he's got this invulnerability thing going for him but also like Achilles said you know the invulnerability will work for a bit but it there there is a downside Downside. to it or there is kind of you know it has its limits like yes you'll be invulnerable but um it's not like you can just keep going at you know 100 or whatever really tired because I think Chiron mentions this that because he's taught Achilles, so he knows. He's like, whenever Achilles wasn't fighting, he was just tired and he was napping and he was right. resting as much as he could kind of thing. So there's a downside, <laughs> literally. It's, it's, it, it is that. But that, uh, but, uh, so, but there is that thing. But there's also something that Achilles mentioned that you would be very, 
I don't know how else to say it because Percy's not that kind of person, but Achilles may have been. He was very proud because he was invulnerable. <laughs> he was like, no one can defeat me. I am invincible kind of thing. So that might be another downside, <laughs> but I don't think Percy has yeah, I think that he also talks yet. about... But, yeah, yeah, I think Achilles warns Percy before he takes on the yeah. invulnerability that um, as much as the the dip in the sticks will kind of augment his strengths, it also kind of augments his weaknesses as well this and makes well, yeah. his like it kind of exacerbates them, I guess, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And I think he cautions Percy against, you know, dipping in the sticks because of that. But again, Percy's you know, at a point where it's like he has to do this. Otherwise, yeah. you know fighting Kronos is, you know, he might as well just go surrender now because they don't really stand a chance. Not when, you know, one nick from Kronos' scythe can um, basically kill him. You know, basically. essentially like, yeah, like drain his soul or whatever. Or yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so there is um, basically it's... that. But oh, sweet scene aside, it's really sweet that he sees out of it there because I... I because the first time I read it, I was like, oh my god, this idiot. Because if Annabeth was there, and if she knew, she would smack this kid upside the head and strangle him herself. That's the thing. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, we know whether or not she learns about Percy seeing her yeah. in the sticks. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, I think if time. she had physically been there at yeah. that specific moment, yeah. yeah, she might have done something like both strangle him, and but then also push him in because it's kind of like, again, they're... they're they're getting desperate desperate times call for desperate measures and and they need something to kind of go toe-to-toe with Kronos and at least hold their own for a little bit so um and at this point basically Percy is like uh, Nico you're the only one who can convince your dad to fight uh with the Olympians because otherwise it's not going to work out well so that's where he leaves Nico Mm -hmm. and then uh, I don't think I think he's been holding off on literally going after Luke actively. And now he's like, yeah, you know what? Now it's time. I have to do this kind of thing. Which marks, Mm -hmm. which is like an important pivotal point to mark the beginning of Percy actively trying to, you know, stop this thing kind of deal. You know, not that he wasn't before, but it's just like, okay, this is it it's like a it's kind of it has some sort of finality to it but yeah um so yeah now they're back to uh they're back to new york percy's back to new york they're shoring up their defenses kind of thing uh and all those things uh and basically their first plan because there's no one defending olympus is that they have to go to olympus to let someone know to defend it basically but right. it, it basically it's it, 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 and they see Hestia again who shows them another vision of how Luke and Talia actually met little Annabeth it's the cutest thing yes. ever <laughs> let's talk about that yeah I mean one it's really cute to see yeah. or like kind of get more on Annabeth's past especially from like that time that she kind of doesn't yeah. really talk about like she mentions yeah. that you know she came to camp when she was seven but I don't think Percy ever really gets too much information out of her and not even from Thalia he doesn't get a too like too much information until now yeah. he kind of sees it almost yeah. firsthand as if he was there yeah. and um yeah it's it's really I think amazing how Annabeth at seven years old managed to run away from home and make it on her own so far um and it, like at least far enough to to meet up with Luke and Thalia and then it, it was also really sweet the way um they kind of just took her in but yeah. um as kind of inconsequential as this particular vision may seem it's also really 
important for later yeah. on in the book and also it kind of helps in like Percy understand who he's fighting and yeah. uh, maybe why Luke is fighting. Let's talk um, about think- that because Luke is a very, the Luke we see in this vision is a very different Luke basically. Mm-hmm. He's like um, he's, he's he, he has Talia, he has a friend and he's still out on the run sure but he's still kind and he sees this little girl and he's like hey it's okay we'll, we'll be your family now. And kind of thing. Right. And he even gives this kid a dagger. Be like, "This is your weapon now. You, you, I, I can tell that you're really skilled. The, take this kind of thing." So I think that's the loop that Annabeth is holding on to, even now, which is a detriment yeah, and to I mean, her. But it's kind of understandable as to why she's doing it. I feel like. Yeah, there's a quote. This is probably like jumping ahead a little bit, but there's a quote that Thalia says where she talks about how. Um, Luke, yeah. as as you know, they got I guess further away from from their yeah. families and from their home and stuff. He started getting moodier and testier and Reckless. started like yeah. picking fights. Yeah, like he had you know something to prove. And she talks about how like part of the reason it took them so long to get to camp was because um, before Grover found them, Luke just kept picking fights with you know basically whoever whatever he could. Yeah. And Annabeth, being you know a really young impressionable little girl at that time, of course looked up to Luke who yeah. was, you know, already like, you know, a teenager and, and seemed so much cooler to her and she idolized him. He was her hero. So, yeah. you know, she obviously didn't see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Thalia being a little bit closer to Luke in age could kind of recognize that like, hey, we don't need to do All certain this crazy things. Stuff. Or, like, we don't need yeah. to, yeah, exactly. Like we don't need to push, you know, so far or like do like certain things and, and, and undertake certain missions or undertake certain risks or whatever you want to call it. Um, but Annabeth, again, was seven years old at that time. And the Luke that she kind of clings to is, like you said, also a very different Luke than the Luke mm. that Percy has known, because Percy's only known him um, from his time at Camp Half-Blood. And by yeah. that point, Luke was already, I think, bitter Gone. enough that yeah, you know, he, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> he had like made up his mind that like he was going to help bring about the end of the gods however he could yeah. so no that's true but then she also mentions that uh, there's a there's a little bit of an exchange between Percy and Annabeth that happens here that I find interesting but let, let's Hestia, Hestia is basically so you did take on the curse of Achilles okay this is what you're up against so you have to understand your enemy which is why she shows him uh, shows Percy the vision and everything and then Annabeth is like, what did you, why did she say that you took on the curse of Achilles? And she, and he's like, because I kind of did. And Mm -hmm. I had to because Luke's done the same. And then, and then I like how Percy gets angry that Annabeth is worried about Luke for being in that situation and not about what Percy just had to go through. It's kind of, you know, like you said, they're dancing around each other and it's just ridiculous. It's also just, I think, like, in in its own weird way it's like a moment of levity and you know yeah. all the craziness that's going on because yeah, it, it kind of reminds is. you that like yeah these guys you know despite the burden that they're undertaking or like the burden that they have they're to deal with yeah they're still teenagers and yeah <laughs> they may not deal with things as um healthily maybe as like an adult with more experience with relationships might but uh-huh. um I mean given everything going on <laughs> they're doing their best they're doing their best but yeah. their but their main mission here was to warn somebody to you know defend Olympus while they took care of the forces that were invading the city 
and they do <laughs> Hermes. And Hermes does, uh, and Annabeth asks Hermes if her mother has a message for her. Uh, and basically, there are a couple of messages. One for, per two for Percy, one for Annabeth. Uh, for Annabeth, it's like, hey, follow this plan kind of thing. So Annabeth knows what it's about. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, in a little bit. The other, uh, and the other, for Percy, it's like, remember the rivers and stay away from my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we talked about this before off recording, yeah, but it's yeah. like if anybody can multitask and, and, you know, keep certain priorities in order, it's definitely Athena yeah. <laughs> in the middle of like an all out war and her priorities are stop the conflict, but also make sure the son of the sea spawn or the sea spawn just doesn't go near my daughter. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah, the, the... It's funny. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things I love about the series is just how little details from previous books end up, you know, having yeah. a major impact in later books. And like the continuity, I think, is, is so great because like you'll meet characters in, in one book and then you may not see them for a bit mm -hmm. and they pop up again later in a completely different book. And it's so cool to see how their role has evolved or like yeah. what their arc really ends up being. And, um, you know, some of like the whole thing with the, the river gods, kind of like one of those, you know, continuity things where Percy was given a sand dollar in a different book. Exactly. And Poseidon so was like, here's now, a present. <laughs> yeah. And now so he knows what to do with it. What to do with it. Exactly. So basically now they have a plan. There's an invasion force coming by land and by sea at this point so they basically station people in the land uh, in the land borders kind of thing and then Percy's like I'm gonna go to the river gods and basically do something about the ships that are coming by sea basically and mm -hmm. he and Annabeth go together and Annabeth is like activating uh, statues on the way to defend Manhattan or the island. Yeah, automatons. Yeah, which automatons. is I think it was like a, a plan in Daedalus's inventions yeah. or like one of his backup plans that Athena tells her to or reminds Activate her of. And so something. yeah, as they're going, exactly. they're just <laughs> activating random statues or, that are really automatons throughout New York City, which Basically. I think is so funny. It is funny. And then they do, uh, So and Percy, like you said, knows how to spend his sand dollar now. And um, the invasion force by sea is now drowned. So thankfully, now they only have to worry about the land invasion. And let's <laughs> talk about who we see there. The Minotaur. Uh, and <laughs> Percy's favorite. <laughs> Percy's favorite. But then there's this scene that we absolutely will die talking about every single time and I love the line that it begins with because Percy is this leader now he's like uh, telling people hey go here go there this is where you need to be stationed and then you even have Talia coming in with the hunters of Artemis to help which is cool super cool and everything and then it begins like before I lost my courage I turned to Annabeth and asked don't I get a kiss for good luck or something I thought it was tradition. And, and I love the answer Annabeth gives because she's like, you effing jerk, you're asking me right now? Okay, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. So she's just like, come back alive, seaweed brain. That will see. It was so funny. Classic Annabeth. So funny. Like, I mean, like yeah, no, I mean, it's it is... not a no. 
it's not it's a no, not a no. <laughs> I mean, like, but it's okay. I mean I don't know I just think it's again like I think it's kind of funny how they spend so much time kind of dancing around what the other really means to them yeah. and in this book without you know explicitly stating it just yet yeah. um they both through their actions and like you know thoughts or whatever you want to call it like there's yeah. different ways they kind of prove that like exactly. as much as this person drives me crazy I also I really often, like them I also really find them pretty amazing <laughs> yes <laughs> so anyway. I think this is like one of those scenes yeah, yeah I mean Percy is. um obviously you know hasn't outright said anything oh, neither uh, to Annabeth's face but and like, yeah she hasn't said anything either but you know again like you mentioned he says he kind of works up the courage and then all of yeah. a sudden he's like hey don't I get a kiss for good luck it's kind of tradition right and she's like come back alive see we brain then we'll see <laughs> so it's like again it's not a no it's not a no um, but it's perfect look at these idiots mm. like dude it just fits on. yeah like you could totally see them saying that especially yeah. you know like it, I feel like it's so in character for both it of them is, it is. Um, and especially also like given the time I mean obviously mm-hmm. the last thing they both want to do is probably engage in like a public makeout session in front of a whole bunch of monsters and demigods but um I just thought it, it was so funny it was, and it's also it you know Percy's, Percy's sassy so like oh you know it's a little God. bit of I think Percy sass where he's just like the time hey, might be wrong but he's still tradition. gonna ask anyway <laughs> tradition yeah right? exactly <laughs> might as well take a shot worth a shot and then <laughs> and then she's like I'm not giving you the satisfaction so come back alive and then we'll look at it dumbass yeah but so. I think also like this is one of our favorite another one of our favorite scenes in the book because there's uh, I mean mean, there's a whole bunch of really cute moments that follow the whole minotaur thing happens um, which is great but then again they're fighting shoulder to shoulder and everything mm -hmm. but Ethan and we've known Ethan from the Battle of the Labyrinth now Mm -hmm. he almost gets Percy in his mortal spot without even knowing it but Annabeth intercepts the knife and I love I think you mentioned Mm -hmm. a very good uh, point when we were talking about this off recording that Percy wasn't looking at what was going on but he felt it he felt like something was wrong and then he sees Annabeth intercepting that knife and it's like and I love his reaction he's like nobody touches her just I'm that that whole thing and and you see Kronos watching this and he under he's trying to piece this together it's like insane and uh, it's just it's crazy so let's talk about that yeah there's a um I mean there's a number of things I love about the scene but I think one is just that it's so um it I think really speaks to just how in tune they are I mean Percy has I mean, he hasn't explicitly said like, hey, I dipped in the river sticks, but he's basically yeah. all but confirmed it. And Annabeth is smart enough to kind of piece it together. Exactly. But still, even though she knows that, she doesn't know what his um, weak point is. And he hasn't really divulged that just yet. And it's so amazing that even though she doesn't know and, and you know, maybe she assumes Percy has it hidden or maybe she assumes that he doesn't. I don't know. I just think it's so amazing. And it really speaks to how much they mean to each other that she exactly. physically takes the hit for him and blocks oh Ethan's God. strike, yes. um, not just with her own knife, but with her own body, because it's like, it doesn't matter it's whether not or not burying. Percy has... It's not just like, <laughs> you know, literally... It- hits her so I like eee. right yeah and I, again I I just think it's it's so telling because yeah. um maybe she thought Percy just 
was a seaweed brain and wouldn't have properly put on his armor and at that point would be exposed but I think it's well, I don't know I always like to think that she was like <laughs> it is <laughs> but I always like up. to think that she's just like um it doesn't matter whether or not he's wearing his armor properly or not I'm just not gonna let it happen it's like that's her yeah. motivation for just Again, intercepting just, the hit and it's just that um, they, they're, they're, they're like you said they're so in tune with each other like that and then they they, they they they're so used to fighting back to back like this it's like it's a cool thing but it's also like you mentioned another cool point that if you're reading this for the first time and you don't know what's happening Annabeth is like on the ground here she's not mm-hmm. what's going on kind of thing it's it's really heartbreaking and while it is important to go back to another scene with these two idiots, it is important to mention that he does get Annabeth to safety on Blackjack, basically, and then he has to fight Kronos. Um, and Kronos makes a, a, an interesting point here because he finally sees and understands by looking at how Percy's fighting that he's taken on the Curse of Achilles, and he mentions that Luke had to be forced into doing it. And he mentions that it would have been better if he had Percy's body instead. And they literally have to blow up a bridge to, you know, hold hold Cronus's forces back. Uh, and it's not even all together. It's just, it's just temporarily hold them back mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Kind of get them some time to like recharge and all exactly. of that. And then we get to another scene that we love so much let's talk about that as well yeah so right after Kronos kind of retreats I mean you know after this whole fight and Annabeth unfortunately getting injured Percy destroys the bridge and that kind of forces both sides to to take a break which I think Mm -hmm. for the demigods is especially much needed but then you know Percy gets the worrisome news that Annabeth isn't doing too well and so he's like dropping everything gotta go find my best friend make sure she's doing okay and um we get I think one of like the sweetest scenes in the book where Percy um is just you know he's like with an injured Annabeth and they're talking and um yeah, you know like, she's been patched up a bit she's like on the in the healing process the and he's on the men exactly basically. yeah and and, and yeah. he he does something that probably most people who have taken on the Achilles curse and then who have maybe basically, died from it yeah, are probably I turning in their graves I love that conversation but, that they have let's talk about it because it's really simple because it, Percy's like you saved my life what if that had hit me i would have died that was my weak spot. basically uh how did you know that was my weak spot and annabeth was like i didn't i just knew you were in trouble and i knew you had to and i knew you i had to get to you kind of thing and then she asks where is it and and i love the line and how this is described he's like I know I shouldn't tell people this, but this was Annabeth. And if I can't trust her, I can't <laughs> trust anybody. It's like, right. that is just, why are these idiots like this? Just why? I know. You I think know? it's so funny because like it really speaks to like the bond that they have, that yeah. this is a huge thing. Like Percy's not yeah. supposed to tell this to like anyone, mm. like not even his mom. Yeah. But again, I mean, obviously his mom isn't in the battle. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure if Percy could tell Sally or if she asked, he would. Yeah. But um, he just, Annabeth is the first person he tells. And for him, it's a no brainer because like yeah. he describes, it's like, this is Annabeth. If I couldn't tell her, then like, or if I couldn't trust her, who can I trust? Yeah. And um, he also kind of just 
does it without hesitation too he's like obviously you know yeah. he really respects her and values her opinion but they're also best friends and oh, yeah. so for him it's and like a no-brainer so it's like yeah maybe together. i shouldn't yeah, yeah exactly it's, so it's i just find that, that so sweet that he's just like um yeah of course i'm gonna tell her like why wouldn't i tell her, <laughs> I tell her? but i think and there's also, also um yeah go ahead go ahead Oh, no, I was just going to bring up like what this leads to, which is this kind of revelation that or like this confession, I guess, really from Annabeth that um, she that, kind of had yeah. a interaction with Luke. tells him about Pre- Luke coming mm-hmm. in. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So before all of this went down and before they entered the labyrinth, Luke visited her in San Francisco and came under a flag of truce. And yeah. um, she describes how, you know, he was very nervous and agitated and he wanted yeah. to run away with Annabeth, just like the old days. And um, Annabeth, of course, had refused because um, a lot had changed since, you know, she had first met Luke and since um, they had gotten to camp and you know, obviously you know since Percy uh, joined camp as well and you know Luke has done a number of things since then so everything yeah. is, is very different and so obviously she turned him down and said she wasn't going to run away with him and that yeah. of course upsets Luke and he she describes how Luke essentially tells her that he she might as well as like fight him Kill then him and right there now. because yeah. she won't get another chance yeah, yeah. and um, she says that Luke said or Luke describes Kronos as using his using him as a stepping stone and of course that time when Luke was talking to Annabeth she didn't understand what he meant but now she understands and um yeah so she starts getting guilty about everything and I just love how Percy's like no that's not on you it's not your fault and even though Annabeth is like oh maybe I should have just fought Luke then Percy's there to kind of tell her like no you're in the right because Luke was not armed and you know that that wouldn't have been fair or right if you kind of like literally just stabbed him in the back as he was like kind of defenseless um exactly so uh, yeah i mean that's uh, it's, see, it speaks to how they how they are with each other and as people it's like it, it's 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 a very sweet interaction and also there's this whole line <laughs> where so you owe me what else is new shut up kind of thing <laughs> and there's also the same thing like you would have done the same for me and then percy's like yeah of course i would have it's not uh, it's not even a question which is like you idiots you idiots you are right again i mean i just think it's it's so sweet because it's like this is even before percy had told annabeth about his weak spot so it's like she didn't even know but still like without hesitation she still intercepted that hit and she she essentially did take the hit for percy and um you know again there was just like no hesitation nothing like well is he is it maybe here or like where is his weak spot or like maybe if i don't take the hit it was just like she saw this thing kind of happening yeah. and she just did everything she could to prevent it and fortunately that meant taking the hit herself yeah. but um as, as sad as it is that she got injured um it, you know it's good that she didn't die from it but also too like there's this really sweet scene that kind of follows after that where Percy and Annabeth have a bit of a bonding moment and um it's just really sweet to see them kind of say yeah. things explicitly that they've always maybe felt but haven't really explicitly said, said like that they would I always just you know it. do yeah <laughs> well I mean that obviously I mean, there's certain way, things that they haven't explicitly yeah, said but yeah, I know, um I, know. I was just referring to like the way Annabeth is so like matter-of-factly like oh you yeah. do the same for me yeah. um 
they've both kind of operated under that assumption but yeah Yeah, they've never explicitly stated it until this point so I just think it's like really sweet that we get kind of verbal confirmation as well (laughs) I know it's really sweet it's just stupidly sweet that's what it is (laughs) but then we get to a really interesting point because they have some time to rest and Mm -hmm. Debbie God dreams are never just dreams they're horrid visions and we first he has this vision of Nico trying to find out what happened to his mother and Maria's Mm -hmm. story is so so tragic it's heartbreaking let's talk about that because even Bianca's like Nico you don't want to know about this it's really not it's not pleasant you won't like what you find honestly please don't do this kind Mm -hmm. of let's talk about that right yeah so we learned that of course I mean we've we've known that Nico has not really been he's been out of time in a sense he doesn't obviously belong at present with Percy and his friends but um we don't really know the the full picture but we find out that Nico and Bianca were um you know, they spent like their early childhood during the World mm-hmm. War II era. Yeah. And, you know, that was already a very tumultuous period to begin with. But mm-hmm. especially for demigod children and children of Hades, it was even more so because some of Hades' other kids were um, on the losing side, as Hades puts it. And Zeus had yeah. essentially just given Hades an ultimatum and said he had to turn over Nico and Bianca. Yeah. And Maria D'Angelo being a, an amazing mom and also being like, a decent human being was like no I'm not going to turn my kids over because they're kids they're babies they need their mother and Hades is just panicking because he's like they're kids and Zeus is going to kill them if I don't turn them over put them somewhere safe so um, he unfortunately is unsuccessful in trying to convince Maria to come to the underworld and bring the kids with her and um, as a result of that unfortunately when Zeus does strike uh, he Maria ends up losing her life and only Nico and Bianca kind of survive that ordeal and of course you know Hades is is very bitter and and upset and rightfully so because I mean there was no reason Maria had to die there's no reason the kids even need to die because they're kids they're babies (laughs) what are they gonna do it's only exactly yeah and also uh, now and let's and what that leads to is the most shocking scene or jaw-dropping scene of all which ties the whole oracle thing together because it's insane how this happens Mm -hmm. because the dream shifts to a scene where this young woman is talking to Hades and like I warned you I told you to get those kids away I told you that Zeus was going to come after them why didn't you do something and then mm-hmm. and Hades in his grief is like your your prophecy did this so as long as I am respected as long as I get my due you will be the last oracle the spirit your you will never in inha- your spirit will never inhabit another living human being again it's like right so chilling and then this is a very interesting callback to Percy's offhanded comment about why the oracle he saw at Camp Havla was a mummy and then person Annabeth saying she wasn't always like that she was a living breathing mm-hmm. person we don't know what happened now we find out that this is what happened like is it that that's so chilling let's talk about it oh my god 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think I think you, you mentioned this when we were talking about this off recording, but yeah. this specific bit kind of makes Hades a little bit easier to um, yeah. sympathize with because or, or empathize with. He because... did this in his grief. He's angry yeah. and upset because his kids almost died. His, his brother ordered a hit on his kids. Like, literally, that's insane. Right. Yeah, and of course, I mean, again, you know, like we mentioned earlier, it's not really Nico and Bianca's fault. I mean, yeah. they couldn't choose who their parent was and it's not fair to them and it's it's definitely not right that Zeus just attempted this because of what might happen and not yeah. what actually you know will happen like there was no concrete proof that Nico or Bianca would be the um you know child of the great of prophecy the and all of that yeah, exactly. um it's just like a, they they definitely had a better chance because you know a they were kids of the big three and two they were alive at that time but yeah. um you know it, I always found it kind of funny that that didn't take into account any kids mm. that um Zeus Poseidon or Hades may have sired at that time as well and also yeah. I mean um it, it is I always feel like a kind of a case of like the pot calling the kettle black oh, because sure. Zeus sure, does, does this to Hades because he's like oh you broke our pact you had kids or you know now they're in they're, they could be the child of the great prophecy but then yeah. several decades later he goes and he sires um a kid too and yeah, then Poseidon does the same thing so it's and like um there's Percy so like yeah sure. it's I just find it kind of funny it's like you you, you do see the irony of it don't use it um, <laughs> but um I mean, like, yeah I, this I mean is why I mean this is why um well I, I don't know how else to put this but I think this book or this series does uh, gives you perspective interesting an interesting perspective like of course the gods are flawed they have done horrible <laughs> things too so people like Luke have every reason to be angry and feel like they've been given the short end of the stick or whatever at the with, with something, right. something like this but like yeah and I think too it's also really yeah. interesting because Hermes makes a comment um as early as the Sea of Monsters when he kind of helps Percy and Annabeth sneak out of camp yeah. and, and go on this quest and in that book he tells them that you know family can be messy and it, it's not perfect and like you said it's flawed but you can't turn your back on family and that's yeah. really I think something that Percy takes to heart and something that yeah. he's kind of kept with him because yes. I think that the more he like he um kind of experienced thing and things in like this demigod world and um the more he sees you know how different things have impacted you know different characters like for example Hades and yeah. um even Luke he's able to kind of understand and empathize with them but I think the difference yeah. is um in spite of all the craziness that's happened to characters like Luke to Hades maybe to Nico yeah. um Percy's still kind of agrees maybe or he still believes what Hermes believes which is that um family is flawed but it's their family like you you can't turn your back on them but Luke is like they're not family they've never been my family they've never done anything for me so why should I care why should I help them like that sort of thing and so for Luke it's very easy to turn away but I think Percy's yeah. kind of um if he doesn't exactly believe what Hermes has said I think he still understands what Hermes um exactly. meant when he said you know family's family and you can't turn your back on them and you just kind of have to you know muddle through their flaws as best as you can and try and change them but in the case of the gods if you can't change them just deal with it as the best as you can which is unfortunate that it you can't you know certain things won't change but they're olympians and they've been so i guess uh, rooted in habits since i don't even know when millennia let's just say yeah 
but yeah and with and with all these disturbing dreams it's time to go back into the fray but then not without a report from everybody basically so now they're just taking stock of whatever how's every how everything's going and then there's talia and Grover reporting uh, on what's happening, Talia checking up on Annabeth and everything. But then mm-hmm. we also find out that there's a Titan coming under the flag under uh, the flag of truce to parlay with them essentially. So let's talk about that because this dude is familiar to people who are familiar with Greek mythology. Let's talk about that. Yes. So um, it's a very odd group of people or beings really that come to parlay with the demigods. So on the demigod side, we have Percy, Thalia, and Grover. Um, And then on the enemy side, it's Prometheus, which of course I think most people know from Greek mythology Mm -hmm. and um, a Hyperborean giant and um and impusa i think and so um yeah yeah ethan as well um so it's a very weird group from from the enemy side Mm -hmm. but um yeah they they come under a flag of truce and prometheus you know being a crafty titan is trying to convince percy to surrender because you know he's like we know your positions we know your numbers um and we outnumber you in in every regard and and you know he he kind of alludes to the spy and a memory yeah he alludes to the spy and he Mm -hmm. also shows percy a memory of uh what Luke went through as well but like um which shows how he was taught he was uh, how Hermes comes in when uh, at a point when Luke has to visit uh, his house to get supplies and mm-hmm. and I think he particularly shows a nasty encounter where Hermes is trying hard but not doing enough to help in Luke's purview kind of thing you know like right because uh May has been having these incidents forever and then and then Luke is like why didn't you show up before I needed you before look at what you've left me with kind of thing and literally Mm -hmm. Hermes you can see that Hermes wants to help but he's like I can't I can't interfere kind of thing right this is and then basically uh, uh Prometheus is like this uh, look at uh, can you really blame Luke for choosing the side that he did? Literally. Right. And then, um, and of course, uh, it gives Percy some food for thought. But then he also, uh, but Prometheus also presents Percy with a pithos, which is again not how we know it. We know it as Pandora's <laughs> box. And right. If you know the legend of Pandora's box, it's like Pandora, in her curiosity, basically released every kind of um sickness or ailment known to man uh-huh. except hope Great. from that jar from that pithos and uh-huh. prometheus is like release hope and i'll know you've surrendered that's it and basically that's uh, and this is where we get into the conversation that you mentioned about uh, uh, between talia and percy which is really important because because Talia is right about one thing that she makes a very good point that all demigods have tough lives. They do. Mm-hmm. Their parents are not always around. And right. Luke, whatever he may have been, made specific choices that were bad. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that too a little bit. 
because that yeah i think an interesting take on how annabeth saw it and how talia saw it as well yeah absolutely i mean this is i think we mentioned this earlier i think this is the point where thalia is like um part of the reason they they had so much trouble getting to camp was because luke was just kind of picking fights with um monsters and i guess all those things yeah right yeah and so um she again points out how annabeth was not really you know worried by it or put off by it and i mean why would annabeth be for her she's a seven-year-old girl at this point um luke is uh you know older than her and and you know he's courageous and he's doing all these daring yeah. things and yeah. for her it's you know a little girl of course this guy's um her hero but yeah. it's you know again thalia was old enough to kind of recognize that what luke was doing was not dangerous great dangerous um, yeah exactly right and and uh like you said she she brings up this really important point that like luke may have understood certain things about his life that it was like hard and maybe it wasn't fair and that he didn't deserve certain things yeah. but he still consciously made the choice to turn against olympus and nobody forced yeah. him to do that nobody forced him to lure annabeth or kidnap annabeth and essentially just kind of put her through um what you know all, the all the curse. Yeah, exactly, exactly yeah nobody yeah. forced him to try and like you know turn thalia and, and try and like you know goad her into changing sides or, or making yeah. certain moves that would have undermined um you know the demigods efforts or, or whatever and exactly. so it's like you can still sympathize with him but you know i think like she says you can't feel too sorry for him because all demigods have had a hard life that's just unfortunately yeah. the nature of being a demigod but yeah. you know he consciously made the choice to do certain things that were unfortunately um causing harm and, and hurting other people and other demigods maybe have been just as bitter as luke but they didn't turn and i think that's kind of um it, it kind of it's a kind of nice contrast to percy because i think as the series progresses percy's kind of able to see things from luke's point of view and he's kind of able to understand yeah. why luke feels the way he feels but again yeah, percy is never yeah, exactly. right yeah percy's never going to turn out the way luke does because i think he understands that again even though things are not fair mm. um and you know unfortunately life isn't always fair but that doesn't mean you then just kind of say well screw this i'm now going to become evil or i'm now going to do yeah, certain things exactly. and try and destroy the fabric of civilization because i can or because like these specific group of people did pay attention or did not give me what i want so i'm gonna help group of people or another yeah. set of beings take power and um yeah i always found that so weird too that like luke really thought that chronos would do anything for him it's like what did you expect I know, like after he got what but, he wanted what do you think chronos is gonna do with you he's gonna tire of you at some point like mm -hmm. honestly it's right uh, and well guys <laughs> that's where we'll leave you off with this episode because we have so much more to discuss because the epic conclusion is coming up there's so much happening and this is where we will leave you guys and if you've still stuck around to listen to us through all of this thank you we really appreciate you and we will see you next week with the with part three of the last olympian thanks guys thank you As always, our lovely theme song is Water Lily by the 126ers. 
The Nerdy Podcast podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and you can follow us online at nerdy-podcasts.tumblr.com or at nerdypodcasts.wordpress.com.